Take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. My voice is not real strong today. I apologize. Hopefully you can hear me okay in the mic. This flu bug that's been going around just has kicked our tails. My wife is still home. She's on week three. And, uh, boy, we've had a hard time with it. I'll get feeling good. The minute it comes back with a vengeance, I think I get doing things I shouldn't do or something, and then it comes back. So my voice is not real strong. Lord willing, as I get to going, it'll get limbered up and you'll be able to hear me fine. For over two years, every Sunday when we've come together, I've said, take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans. And this is now it. We're going to close the book of Romans. Martin Luther was used mightily by God to really become the impetus, the spark behind the Protestant Reformation. Reading and studying the book of Romans in the Augustinian monastery, coming across that scripture in Romans chapter 1, the just shall live by faith. And for Martin Luther, in many ways, the book of Romans was the defining book in the scripture that not only opened up his understanding of the gospel, but then that he used to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ to a needy world in the day in which he lived in Western Europe. He said of the book of Romans, it is so rich a treasure of spiritual wealth that even to him who has read a thousand times something new will ever be presenting itself. I've enjoyed this study. Myself, I have profited tremendously from going deep into the book of Romans every week and just looking for the nuggets of truth that are there concerning the gospel of Jesus Christ and standing under the weight of the text. And, and I've so enjoyed the study. I'm going to miss it. It's going to kind of be like saying goodbye to an old friend for a while, going into a new study. But I'm sure every time I come back to the book of Romans, in my own reading and reflection, though it be a thousand times, I'll see something new I've never seen before. I hope that's the case for you. I hope that as we have met weekly and in the pages of this book, the book of Romans, I hope that the Holy Spirit has done something in your heart. I hope there's some time that you can remember going through this book when the Holy Spirit just opened your eyes and you saw a truth about Jesus Christ that you had never seen that way before. And I hope as we go deeper in weeks to come and we study other places that the Lord will lead us deeper into a richer understanding of who He is. This is a doxology of praise. 
We began it a few weeks ago. Last week we took a break from it to talk about Thanksgiving. Today I want to finish it. It is a doxology. The word dox comes from the Greek word for glory or for praise. So when we think about a doxology, a doxology is a song or psalm of praise. And the Apostle Paul says, Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all the nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith to the only wise God, be glory forevermore through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, on the night of your birth, the Father sent myriads of angels to some lonely shepherds on the hills above Bethlehem. And those angels broke out into song, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Glory to God. Father, you are the only eternal God. And you are alone wise. And as Paul said earlier in this book, oh, the depths, oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom of God. How unsearchable are his ways and unscrutable his judgments. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has instructed him? Lord, in some puny way, we pray that we, our lives, would bring glory to you. That, Father, we would make it our sole pursuit in life, our greatest aim, that you would be glorified through us and in us. For you alone are worthy. Bless us in your word, we pray. Amen. I want you to notice this doxology. It is a closing doxology. After expounding the riches of the gospel, it is only fitting that the Holy Spirit would bring this to summation. Not with some new truth, but with a rehearsal of the glory of God. 
And so he does so in this closing doxology. The flow of the doxology, we mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. Let's just remind ourselves of this. Of course, the doxology is to him. To him be glory. To him be glory. He is the eternal God. He alone is wise. Of him and to him and through him, as Paul said in Romans 11, are all things. To him be the glory. It answers some questions. The what? Now, to him who is able. We talked about this last week. He is able. He is powerful. God is not impotent. God is not detached. God is able. What is He able to do? He is able to establish you. The word here in the ESV is the word to strengthen, but we talked about this word establish a couple weeks ago. It means to plant or to root. He is able to root you. He is able to plant you. Who? Who is he able to do this to? It is to you. To you. There's no difficulty in your life. There's no scenario. There's no situation. There's no circumstance. There's no sin. There's no sin that you might be struggling with. There's no unbelief that he cannot defeat. There's no impossibility with God. He is able. In Romans chapter 1, we began the book with that. In Romans 1, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power. It is the dunamis of God. Here we see He is able. He has the power to establish you. My friend, you are not going to fall through the grip of Almighty God. He's got you. He will establish you. You. How does He do it? He does it, notice the word, according. We'll look at that in the text. He is able to establish us or root us. And a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the two main function of roots... Essentially, there are two things that a root does for a plant. Number one, it absorbs nutrients and moisture from the soil. And so we are rooted in Christ. We are grounded in Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, he tells us that. That we are rooted and established in Christ. And being rooted in Christ, it is through those roots that we then absorb the nutrients and the moisture from the soil of the Word of God that feeds our soul. And so He establishes us. He plants us. He roots us. So that as we come to the Word of God, into the soil of the Word of God, He feeds our soul. And a root is also there to anchor the plant. It anchors the plant. And so we are rooted in Christ. And so he is able to establish us. Now, where we want to focus our attention this morning is on three phrases that tell us how God establishes us. How God 
plants us. And I'm going to tell you that when he says he is able to plant you, this is the way he always does it. There are no exceptions. He does it according to this. And he gives us three things that God uses to plant us in Christ. Number one, notice with me, the means or the how is according to the gospel. God doesn't have any other plan. What we have studied in Romans chapter, or the whole book of Romans, what we have studied in this book as we have looked at the gospel is God's plan. It is the way he does his work. He doesn't have another way. You, you can't find it, you know, in the Upanishads in India. You can't find it in the Koran. You can't find it in the teachings of some Maharaj. God's way to establish us is the gospel. And that is it. You will never be rooted in life or in eternity apart from the gospel, according to the gospel. Number two, it is according to the unveiling of the mystery. And then number three, it is according to the command. So I want you to notice that word according. Look at it in your Bible. In your Bible, in verse 25, he says, to him who is able to strengthen you according to to my gospel. And what is the gospel? It is the proclamation of Jesus Christ. God's good news is Jesus Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul tells us, this is the gospel I delivered to you. That Jesus Christ was crucified for our sin. He was buried he rose again. And that is the gospel that Paul proclaimed. And so it is according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Number two, notice the word according. It is according to the revelation of the mystery. This mystery was kept secret for long ages, but now has been disclosed. And how has God disclosed it? through the prophetic writings in the scripture. This is where this mystery is expounded. It is expounded in the pages of God's word. It's not something you just go sit in your closet and you meditate and you get in touch with your inner self and you think long and hard about all your problems in life and come up with your own solutions. That's not the mystery. That's not when God speaks to you. God speaks through his word. He has disclosed himself to us. He has unveiled himself to us in the prophetic writings. And he has made them known to all the nations. And then the third according, it is according to the command of the eternal God. Now let's look at these this morning. Let's think about how God roots us. How God plants us. Number one, 
He does so according to my gospel. Take your Bible, go with me to chapter 1. And I want you to see how we began this study in Romans chapter 1, in verse 1. How Paul introduces this book. And I want you to see that these first four verses are very similar in many of the same themes to what we see in this doxology. He says, Paul, Paul is a servant of Christ Jesus. He is called to be an apostle, a sent one, and he was set apart for what? The gospel. The gospel of God, which he, God, promised beforehand, same theme as what we're seeing in this chapter 16, and he promised this beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. And it all concerns his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. And it is through him we have received grace and apostleship to bring about. Notice this same phrase he uses at the end of chapter 16. The obedience of faith. For the sake of his name. There again, among all the nations, <coughs> and it includes you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. My gospel. Notice the word my. It's interesting he uses that. He doesn't just say here, according to the gospel and the preaching or the proclamation of Jesus Christ. He says, according to my gospel. Why does he put that possessive there? Why does he put that possessive my? It's because he is showing ownership. It's not like it derives from Paul. It's not like Paul is the source of it. It's not like Paul dreamed it up or concocted it. He's not saying it is mine that way, but he says it is my gospel to say this. It is mine. It's not just some abstract thing. It's not just some truth that is out there. <coughs> no, it is mine. It is mine. Is it your gospel? Is it your good news? As we've studied it, as we've thought about it, as we've come to terms with what the good news is, that first of all, there's some really bad news, and the really bad news is that I'm a sinner. And because I have fallen short of the glory of God, I am left hopeless, facing an eternal separation from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. A place of damnation and punishment. And that is my lot, and that is really bad news. And I come to terms with that in the Word of God, and I find out about myself that I am a sinner and I am broken. And then I see that Jesus Christ has come. God's Lamb. Perfect. Bearing my sin and my shame to His cross. Dying in my place. 
and it becomes mine. Do you remember when it became yours? Maybe it was when you were a child. For many of us, it was. But maybe there was another time in your life when even though you had received it as a child, maybe you had wandered from the Lord and you'd got far from his side and you came back to him and you understood the gift of eternal life in this new light and God brought you to a place of repentance and trust and rededication and it was like, again, it is, this is mine. Mine. If it's not yours, if it's just your mom and dad's, or it's just this church's, it's not enough. It must be yours. According to my gospel. Now, what did God hide but now reveal? Notice the next phrase. The next phrase is according to to the revelation of the mystery that was kept secret for long ages but has now been disclosed through the prophetic writings has been made to known all the nations. Notice some of the words there that in many ways are very similar. So he talks about revelation. He talks about a mystery. He talks about things being kept secret but then disclosed. That there were things that were kept secret and now have been disclosed. Where there says, what, what did God hide but now reveal? <coughs> Keith read to us in 1 Peter chapter 1 this morning. And in 1 Peter chapter 1, it talks about how the, the prophets in the Old Testament were writing these messages from God, but they didn't understand everything that they were writing. And so they were inquiring as they're writing. They're inquiring what the Spirit within them is meaning. When the Spirit was talking about the sufferings of Christ and the glories of Christ and who this is and when it will happen. And there were all these mysteries for long ages that were prophesied and were foreshadowing the coming of the Christ. But specifically, what has God disclosed to us that they didn't know? Notice the word mystery. The word mystery is an interesting word here, mysterion. The word mystery, when we say the word mystery, a lot of times we think about maybe books or movies that we read that are mysterious and we don't understand what's going on, but then by the end of the movie, it's all disclosed to us. I mean, you're like Agatha Christie. Any of you seen the Poirot? I don't know how you say the dumb guy's name, the Belgian guy. And um, he's this guy, you know, and he's an inspector, and he's the one who's always able to find out who done the murder. And he goes through all the evidence, and by the time you get to the end of it, Excuse me, he discloses what was been kept secret. 
What is it that God had kept secret that in the Old Testament they didn't really understand, but now is clear to us? Here's some things that were mysteries that now are revealed. Notice with me the first one in Colossians chapter 1, verse 26. He talks about a mystery that had been hidden for ages and generations, but has now been revealed to his saints. And God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery. And what is this mystery? Here's what it is. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Messiah, Christ in you. Jesus said it this way. The kingdom of God is within you. Christ in you. The spirit of Christ in you. In the Old Testament, they didn't understand that. They didn't see that. But for us who know the Lord, the defining aspect of the application of the gospel in our life is this. It's not something that is external. It is something that is internal. The Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. It is Christ in you that is the hope of glory. The hope of glory is not found in being a good person. The hope of glory is not found in reading your Bible every day. Although I hope you read your Bible every day. The hope of glory is not just in praying. It's not in doing things. The hope of glory is this. It is Christ in you. He has disclosed that. The way God plants us is by God himself taking up residence within us. And that is a mystery. Here's another part of the mystery. What did God hide but now reveal? In Ephesians chapter 3, it says this. This mystery was made known to me by revelation. And I have briefly written about it above. By reading this, you are able to understand my insight about the mystery of the Messiah. This was not made known to people in other generations as it is now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Here's what it is that the Gentiles, the nations, are co-heirs, members of the same body, and partners of promise in Christ through the gospel. The second aspect of this mystery that he has disclosed to us is this. It wasn't just a Jewish thing, it is for everyone. That whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever and so this mystery that God has unveiled is twofold. Number one, it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And number two, is this mystery, this gospel, is for everyone. It is the proclamation of that message that God uses to establish us, to plant us. The third according is this. Notice what he says. According to the command 
of the eternal God. The third way that God establishes us is He commands it to be so. He doesn't leave it up to us to work it out. He doesn't leave it up to us to make it happen. He commands it. He plants us. We don't plant ourselves. He commands. When you think about a command, when you think about someone who is commanding, we are thinking about something that is done verbally, isn't it? It is a command. When God speaks, it happens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was a time in eternity past where there was no heaven the way we understand the universe and no earth the way we think of this planet. It wasn't here. And in a moment in time, in the beginning, God did what? He spoke. He spoke. And God said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. (coughs) And God said, let the earth bring forth green herbs and animals. And what happened? Boom. He spoke. In the word of a king, there is power. And in the word of the king of kings, there is omnipotence. He speaks and it is done. He commands. And so when we think about this one, according to the command of the eternal God, we are thinking about the truth that God is sovereign in might. We've seen this all through the book of Romans. God is in control. He is sovereign. He is sovereign in his ability to command. This word is interesting, to command. It is used in the Gospels to speak of two things that Jesus did. He commanded the winds and the waves. He commanded the unclean spirits. Think with me in the Gospels. Jesus is in Capernaum. And he's in a synagogue. There is a man in the synagogue who has a demon. He has an unclean spirit. He begins to make an outburst in the middle of the service. And Jesus looks at this man and says, Come out of him. Come out of him. And the demon left. And everyone in that room Who is this that even the unclean spirits obey him? They'd never seen this. They had seen people with demons. 
And rabbis would come and they would do concoctions and exorcisms, elaborate ceremonies. Maybe something would happen, maybe nothing happened, but there was no ultimate relief and it never worked. And now Jesus walks into the room and this guy begins to blow up. And Jesus says, come out of him. And the demon leaps. It's a storm-tossed sea. And the waves are taking down the boat. And Jesus says, peace, be still. And his apostles say, when Jesus is looking the other way, who is this? That even the waves and the sea obey him commands. It is according to the command of the eternal God. St. Augustine said it this way, or Augustine, however you might want to say it. Lord, command what you will. Whatever you will, God, this was his prayer. Whatever it is you are willing, Father, command it. Command it to be so. And then grant what you command. According to the command of the eternal God. Paul says it this way in Philippians chapter 2. So then, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, not, always, not only in my presence, but now even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, he's saying we have a responsibility to be working out, not working for our salvation, but working out our salvation. And we are to do so with fear and trembling. And then he makes this statement. Notice this. This is a beautiful statement. For it is God who is working in you, both to desire and to work out his own good purpose. God has a good purpose, and you know what God is doing? He is working in you to desire to do it, and then to do it. Amen. And when you don't feel like doing it, just own it, and say to God, I need you to work out that desire in me. It is God who is working in you to desire His will and then to give you the ability to do it. Why is that the case? Why does God do it that way? You know why? So all the glory is His. None of it's ours. Nothing good happens from God because of us. It's because of Him. And so he closes with that phrase to the only wise God. Be glory forever. And how is He glorified? Through Jesus Christ. Let it be so. To God who alone is wise.
He alone is wise. In Proverbs chapter 1, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. People today think they're so smart. I got a letter from a woman this week who was taking us to task for our position on marriage. And it was unbelievable what she had to say. And by after reading it and then reading it again and thinking about what she was trying to say, all I could think was you opened your mouth and showed yourself to be a fool. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean that sadly. And why? Why? Why could she not even see what she was saying? Because she has rejected the only source of wisdom. God. And she has built her life on a broken cistern that can hold no water. And she is bankrupt in soul and in spirit. Why? Because she has rejected the fear of the Lord, which is the only source of wisdom. There is a way, right? And let's think about this. What does this mean? When we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what we're saying is this. The fear of the Lord is when we as an individual stand in such reverential awe of God that we revere what He has said as the fountain of true wisdom. When we are willing to say, it's not mine to come up with my own rules. It's not mine to come up with what I think is going to make me happy and going to bring me joy in life and all that other stuff and give me fulfillment. It's not mine to do that. I am going to stand under the Word of God and revere Him in such a way that I am going to say, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. That is wisdom. There is a way that seems right. And that's what's going on in America today. Oh, there is a way. It seems so right. But the end of that way is what? Death. To God, who alone is wise, be the glory. Man's greatest sin is not murder. Man's greatest sin is not adultery or even covetousness. Man's greatest sin is robbing God of His glory. That is why it began in Romans chapter 1 in this first chapter. He said this, 
these people that God gives over to a depraved mind, it is because when they knew who God was, they would not glorify Him as God. But they became vain in their thinking. Their foolish heart was darkened. And they exchanged, they traded in the glory of the incorruptible God for an image. Man's greatest sin is robbing God of his glory. Be the glory. Sola de Gloria. To him alone be the glory. You know, probably the most succinct statement of the gospel is in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works. What? Lest anyone would boast. There is not going to be a person in heaven that's going to be standing there saying, I thank you, God, that I'm not like that dude. No, everybody in heaven is saying what? Worthy is the lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. To him alone be the glory. Forever, amen. And so we close the book with what Paul said to the church in Ephesus in Acts 20. And now I commend you to God, to the word of His grace. His word is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are saved. Let's pray. I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, sometimes when we study your word and we proclaim your word, we stand under your word, we don't even know how to express it in a way that does justice to what you've said. Lord, we know that apart from your Holy Spirit, nothing done. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Lord, you said those words. I pray, Lord Jesus, that as we have studied this book, that we will have seen Jesus Christ high and lifted up. And as he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. I thank you, Lord, that this gospel is my gospel, that you have saved me. I thank you that there are many in this room, most in this room, that you have saved. It is their gospel too. And I pray, Lord Jesus, if there's someone here that the gospel has just been words on a page. Oh, Holy Spirit, that you would make the gospel theirs. So we pray in Jesus' name.